Hi, I'm Debbie Georgettis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Thanks for tuning in. Today we're going to talk about the Iranians sentenced a woman to 38 years and 148 lashes for, you won't believe, Second, increasing tensions with Iran, uh, and Claire Lopez, national security expert, will join me to talk about it. And third, Islamization in Minneapolis and Austin, Texas. And then I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And welcome again to America Can We Talk on today's first five. There's a woman in Iran. She's a lawyer, which actually is kind of a shocking to think about a the country of Iran has women lawyers, but a woman lawyer in Iran. Her name is Nasrin, first name Nasrin, last name Satuda. I'm surely maybe mispronouncing it. But this woman has been an activist in Iran representing women in that country who object to wearing the hijab, who want to remove the hijab in public. And I'm sure you, or most of you know, the hijab is just the covering of the woman's head and face required by um, by many followers of Islam, and uh, it's very, very strictly enforced in the country of Iran. So this woman, lawyer, has represented women who are fighting that. She was arrested first in her life in 2016, and uh, this arrest at that time uh, led to her being, uh, she was prosecuted in 2016 of, of conspiring to harm the state security. So, so she served half of a six-year term, so she went to prison for three years, and then she's out. And then she was a recently, she was arrested again, and she was prosecuted by the Iranian authorities, essentially for because of her advocacy for the idea that women should not have to wear the hijab if they don't want to, and they should be protected. And she's trying to pr- defend these women who don't want to have to do that. What she was actually charged with was that they, what they called uh, spying, spreading propaganda, insulting Iran's supreme leader. She was actually charged with seven crimes in all, and she was given the maximum sentence for all those crimes, plus the court added on five years for a 2016 case where she was charged and tried in abstention, meaning she wasn't there, but she was uh, tried and, and uh, prosecuted and convicted anyway, even though she wasn't there. So. She's got, her sentence is now 38 years in prison and 148 lashes. And yes, they still beat people, whip people in countries like Iran. So I raise this story as kind of a baseline. What I want to talk about today, we have coming up shortly, Claire Lopez joining me, uh, and she's a national security expert. We're going to talk about our tensions with Iran But I just want to plant that picture in your mind of what kind of country Iran is. Now, the people in Iran, and we've talked about this in the show quite often also, but there are many people in Iran who do not want to follow the mullahs, do not want the form of Islamic extremism that is represented by the Islamic government um, in Iran. But they have no, and they've protested, they've had protests in the streets, um, asked America for help under President Obama, he didn't give them any. But you know, the uh, the people of Iran, many of them want to overthrow the mullahs. But this 
extraordinarily harsh sentence this woman received is in part a result of the fact that a new judge was appointed, a new head judge of their judiciary system in Iran, who is a real hardliner, a just a truly uh, harsh, barbaric guy, appointed as the new the head of the judiciary, seen by some as a signal to um, the president of the country, who's a little bit more moderate. You know, don't be thinking we're going moderate. We are going hardline Islamic, and this is what happened to this woman. And I want to close out this segment by just saying that this is a good example of the kind of thing that we cannot even imagine in the United States of America. We cannot even imagine the harshness of Sharia, which is just Islamic law. It's part of Islam. We can't imagine. And that's what these punishments and this mindset comes from Sharia. So we can't imagine it here. But the Iranians, the people inflicting this on this woman, they, to them, what they are doing is normal. It is what justice is. It is what the law requires. They are not, they're unabashed. In fact, there was a UN, a United Nations uh, person who they let in recently. They rarely do let them in, but there's a United Nations person, investigator in human rights that they let in at the time this thing is going on, who's, and I'm saying that to say, this suggests they don't even fathom how the sane world looks at what they're doing. This is normal to these people who are following Sharia and following the extreme form of Islam, that is the government of Iran. This is what's happening to in modern days. We're not talking 2,000 years ago, we're talking now. We're talking now, or whatever, we're not talking 1,500 years ago. This is happening, and the country, I think it's impossible for Americans to quite to perceive how drastic, how scary, how alarming it is to live in a country where Sharia, Islamic law, is the law. It's not like the law just for the Muslims or just for people who want to fight. It is the law, and it is harsh, barbaric, uh, you know, it's hard to even think of adequate words to describe what this woman is going to go through. Now, some people are saying that this is harsh, even for Iran, this is a pretty harsh sentence, but they're sending a signal of, of digging in, in who they are, and what they stand for in this world. They are standing up for their Islamic repression, their Sharia supremacism, whatever you want to call it. They're standing up for it and saying, this is what we're going to do. So with that backdrop, I want, so that is my first five for today. I want you to understand that case, understand these people think this is normal. They do not think they're being extreme. They're not embarrassed. They're not ashamed, not apologetic. This is what their justice system is and permits. They think this is normal. And now I want to turn after that today's first five and talk with Claire Lopez. Claire Lopez is actually, um, she's been on our show quite a few times. I think we have her by phone. She's based in Washington, D.C., and she's with the Center for Security Policy. And the Center for Security Policy is just a fabulous organization in Washington that digs in on all sorts of issues that affect our American national security. Um, and one of those being Islam, the threat of uh, Islam, the, the threat of Sharia, whatever you want to call it, Sharia supremacism, the, the threat of Islam. Claire Lopez is their vice president for research and analysis. Uh, she's a member of the board of advisors for the Canadian McKenzie Institute. She's a career operations officer with the Central Intelligence Committee, a professor at the Center for Counterintelligence, 
and Security Studies, the Executive Director of the Iran Policy Committee from 2005 and 2006, and a consultant with a variety of intelligent, um, a consultant, intelligence analyst, researcher. She's a national security expert uh, extraordinaire. So, Claire, I hope we have you on the phone. Hello. Yes. Hi, Debbie. Thank you very much for having me. Very glad to be with you, as always. Love having you join me. Thank you so much. So, there's been a lot of talk in the news about the fact that President Trump um, has, seems to be stirring things up with Iran. And, and uh, in part, I think there's a little bit of a concern being expressed that President Trump is saying and doing things that could aggravate Iran, could lead us toward um, possible war with Iran. And people worried about Trump saying, oh, he's aggravating the Iranians, he doesn't know what he's doing. So let me just start with, what has prompted the most recent uh, kind of tension between America and Iran? Well, I think we would go back about a year. That would be to May of 2018, when President Trump uh, withdrew the United States from the Iran nuclear deal, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, reimposed sanctions uh, that gradually ratcheted up uh, more and more strictly, um, and most recently has added sanctions um, on things like um, uh, metals, uh, iron ore, copper, uh, aluminum, and things like that. Um, and um, removed certain waivers that had been allowed previously uh, for purchase of Iranian oil uh, by some of its customers, imposed secondary sanctions. That means sanctions on not just doing business directly uh, with Iran by Americans or American companies, but on other companies, countries uh, that would do business with Iran. So all of these things... Um, have have occurred within the last year, and and some of those uh, increased sanctions within just the past uh, couple of months. Now, I think what we really need to do, though, is 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 go back to the Iranian uh, Revolution itself, 1979. Uh, from that point forward, now 40 plus years, um, the Iranian regime, whose constitution, by the way, may be found in English online. Uh, and that constitution devotes the Iranian regime to jihad, literally to jihad, to conquer the entire world for an Islamic state under rule of Islamic law. That's what their constitution says. It says that their Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, the IRGC, is constituted to be an ideological army, not just for the defense of the country's borders, but also to spread jihad, to spread terror around the world against the enemies of Islam. That's their constitution. Since that point in time, they have assassinated, abducted, kidnapped, murdered, tortured, um, maimed thousands upon thousands of Americans, both civilian and military. Let's remember that this is a regime that has allied itself deliberately, not just with Al-Qaeda, but also with other proxies that it likes to operate through that will include the Taliban, includes Hezbollah, includes Hamas, includes the Houthi rebels uh, in Yemen, includes the Iraqi Shiite militias that are now threatening uh, United States uh, personnel in that, in that, well, former country. Um, all of these things preceded anything that, that President Donald Trump ever dreamed of doing preceded by, by years even, him even coming into office. Let me mention 
that Iran, this regime, I should say, the regime in Iran has never, ever been held to account truly for either the 1983 Marine Corps barracks bombing uh, in Beirut, Lebanon, or our embassy there, or for their role, this Iranian regime's role in the attacks of 9-11, in which it collaborated directly with al-Qaeda, the Taliban, and yes, of course, Saudi Arabia too. So all of that is precedent. All of that lays the foundation. And then top that off with a drive to acquire deliverable nuclear weapons, among other WMD, by the way, uh, using um, uh, intercontinental and other range uh, ballistic missiles. All of this preceded anything Donald Trump ever dreamed of doing, as I said. So when the president came to office and made the decision to pull us out of the nuclear deal, he did that with all that knowledge aforehand and also realizing that Iran, of course, was cheating on the deal, had never been sincere about the deal, was absolutely developing nuclear warheads uh, at secret off-site or off-limits sites, off-limits to inspectors. He knows all of this. That's why Trump has done what he did. Now, if the Iranians um, find that um, alarming, well, well, they ought to. Their own people have been in the streets demonstrating against the corruption, the economic hardship, the failure of the Iranian regime to take care of them in terms of environmental uh, damage, such that when the spring rains came this year, massive floods killed hundreds of people all over the country. So they are beset within and from without, uh, the regime in Iran is, by their own people demonstrating, protesting on labor strikes within the country, across the entire country, since late 2017, by the way, since late December 2017, ongoing to this date, and they are now being pressured from outside, especially by uh, President Donald Trump and, and the United States um, uh, policies toward, towards Iran. So that's by way of laying you know, the, the, the foundation and laying the scenario out so that folks can understand um, what is happening now. That was such a fabulous summary. I think I'm going to go back and play it a few times and memorize it because that was such a great laying out of all the facts that got us to where we are today. Because you hear a lot of people, and these are people who are critical anyway of President Trump and almost anything he does, but acting like his um, decision to squeeze Iran with sanctions and to squeeze the European allies and, and try to pressure them to not uh, buy, uh, to, to not accept exports from um, Iran, that all of that is just kind of a random um, random and dangerous pushing jabbing at Iran with, with no purpose but what do you think mm -hmm. yeah but what do you think now what is President Trump's purpose now we've he got us out of the Iranian deal uh, we've talked about I think you and I have talked about it several times which was great but what do you think his purpose is in continuing to kind of crush them uh, economically and to starve them out with the sanctions is it to bring him to the table with us and, and to talk again or what well, I, I certainly hope that the purpose is not to do more talking with the regime or with the, uh, you know, the, the, the senior leadership of the Iranian regime. Um, I will tell you that I've heard from Iranian sources that even the thought or the tweet or the mention by President Trump that he would even be willing to talk to those thugs ever again 
takes the life and the heart and the hope out of the Iranian people. They want nothing more than regime change. They began demonstrating in the streets, as I said, late 2017, out of economic frustration, out of uh, a rising frustration with the corruption they could see all around them on the part of the regime leadership, uh, including the mullahs, including the IRGC, Quds Force, and other uh, regime officials. But it very quickly morphed into a demand for nothing less than regime change. They're fed up with the regime. They're fed up with Islam. You were talking earlier in the beginning of this program about the women who are so bravely standing up uh, to the mullahs, to the regime, um, who, which, which demand that they wear uh, certain clothing that includes a head covering, a scarf, a hijab, um, as well as other uh, demands on their, on their uh, style of clothing. Um, people should know that that is not something, by the way, that the Iranian regime just dreamed up. The demand that women cover up out in public comes directly out of the Quran and at least a couple of different verses, 3359 being one of them. Um, and it is only the Iranian regime following what Muslims believe the direct and literal words of God, of Allah, in the Quran that um, uh, has them imposing uh, this, this regulation on, on women. And so it's nothing extreme, it's nothing radical, and uh, the, the punishments, which are called hudud punishments or hudud crimes and punishments, they too come directly out of the Koran. Iran didn't dream this up. Saudi Arabia didn't dream this stuff up. It is directly out of the Koran, the amputation, the beheading, the flogging, the execution for adultery and homosexuality and apostasy um, and, and so forth. Those things are directly out of the Quran, which all Muslims are obligated to believe and to respect as the word, the literal word of God. So you can see the compulsion on Muslims, and yet, nevertheless, the Iranians, who, by the way, are Persians, not yes, all Iranians, yes. of course, but, 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 you know, they were conquered. Yep. The Persian Empire was conquered by the rampaging armies of, of uh, Islam back in the 7th century. Uh, anyway, they're fed up with it, they're in the streets, they're demonstrating, and now they want nothing less than regime change itself. This Trump administration does not say that. The Trump administration has been very careful to say that their program of, of ratcheting up sanctions, uh, uh, financial pressure against the Iranian regime, um, is intended to change their behavior. Well, I think National Security Advisor Bolton and, and the President know perfectly well uh, that there's no such hope in sight that a regime that is dedicated uh, to the devout, faithful practice of Islam, which is what this is, they're not going to give up their faith, their devotion to God, um, you know, because the Iranian, because the the Americans are are pressuring them financially. What we can expect to see is a redoubling of their commitment, doubling down, and possibly um, resorting more to lashing out by way of proxies. We talked about Hamas, Hezbollah, the Houthis and uh, others as well, the Iraqi Shiite militias. That is a threat. I want to go back to the uh, withdrawal, Amer President Trump's decision to withdraw America from the Iranian deal. And you know, something I was remembering while you were talking, Claire, is I think when the Iranian deal was being negotiated, 
uh, we talked about it under President Obama when when there were so many serious national security experts saying, no, this is not a good deal. This is dangerous. We shouldn't be doing this. But so we, he got us into the Iranian deal. President Trump got us back out. But is it accurate that we were clear in our uh, prior to our withdrawal from the Iranian deal, the Iranians weren't complying anyway. They weren't complying with the commitment to to decline, to stop trying to produce uh, nuclear weapons grade uranium. Is that right? Uh, that 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 is correct, uh, uh, largely. Um, as written, the JCPOA nuclear deal um, allows a lot of loopholes for the regime. It does not, for example, include anything about the development, the testing, the deployment of ballistic missiles. Nothing in yeah, there about it yeah. at all. Um, but the, the other thing that is most important that was left out of the deal, on purpose, of course, is that if the Iranians say this, that, the other site is off limits to inspectors, it's off limits. And many of those sites are IRGC-controlled sites. They're literally dug underground into bunkers and tunnels under mountains, and they are completely off limits to inspection. Now, if you were a regime that... <laughs> has been trying for 30 years to develop deliverable nuclear weapons, and now the focus of the world community is on you. Where, where would you put your nukes? Right. Up we, above ground? You know, in places that are already revealed and known, like Natanz, the enrichment facility, or Isfahan, the conversion facility? No, of course not. You're going to put them away someplace out of sight, out of sight of satellites as well and off-limits to inspectors, and that's exactly what the Iranians have done. I am hopeful that the Trump administration does understand that, and that figured into their uh, decision to, do it, to withdraw from, from the nuclear deal. Um, but there's no question, I mean, what regime on the face of the earth has worked for 30 years to develop a nuclear weapon and doesn't have it already? With the help, we may note, of China, yeah. Pakistan, North Korea, Russia, and a, and a worldwide network of suppliers willing to sell them things for the program. But the it's not reasonable to think that they don't already have a number of warheads somewhere off limits and are building more. And you think about the dangerous mix of two things you were just saying, the dangerous mix of the potential they really probably already have the, the nuclear weapons or the capacity to create them because of their alliance with all those other bad actors in the world, but having them in conjunction with being a country who is very constitution is committed to jihad committed to the taking down the taking over of the world in the name of islam for the purpose of establishing the caliphate that that is a toxic mix for that country and, and the which i'm getting at the point making it vital that we get we in any way we can stop them interfere with their progress in some way squeeze them well, yes, exactly right. And um, think also to the very specific eschatology or ideology, if you will, of the Shiite Iranians. They are Shiite, not Sunni, and they have a little bit different take on the eschatology of the end times than do the Sunnis. According to this regime, uh, which belongs to what they call the Twelver, meaning the Twelfth, yeah, yeah. Um, Twelver uh, Islam, Twelver um, uh, sect of, of Shiite Islam, believing that in the end times, the Mahdi, their messianic figure, that's an Islamic figure for all Muslims, but in this uh, Shiite version, the Mahdi 
has a particular identity. It is the 12th Imam in a long line of blood descendants from Muhammad himself, as they believe, who is supposed to come back at the end of times. But some of these regime leadership figures believe that they can actually expedite the return of the Mahdi, speed it up, make him come back sooner, if they cause enough chaos, strife, and warfare on earth that the Mahdi will feel compelled to come back and set it all straight for Islam. Oh what a toxic mix that is. That is for sure. Um, you know, I'm actually, you mentioned John Bolton, and I had, I have a, a bunch of questions I wanted to ask while we have this time to connect. There is particular criticism against John Bolton by, and these are again the, the kind of Trump agitators, the people who thought we were, it was a good thing to stay in the Iranian deal, that we at least had some deal with them is better than nothing, blah, blah. They're blaming John Bolton for being particularly hawkish and, and, um, and confrontational with Iran and actually causing it a more dangerous situation. Than otherwise would have been present. So, what's your sense of John Bolton's role in all this? Is he is he is he is he too aggressive toward Iran or his suggestions to Trump on, on policy? Look, John Bolton um, serves at the pleasure of the president. The policies that he lays forth are the policies of the Trump administration. He is part of that administration. He is loyal to that administration. And so when we see uh, a former ambassador to the United Nations, John Bolton, now National Security Advisor, laying out a very uh, strict um, policy towards the regime in Iran, we can be confident that that is the policy of the Trump administration, and I should add Secretary of State Mike Pompeo as well, who himself, Secretary Pompeo, has laid out in a speech about a year ago or so a set of 12 really very specific demands of the regime in Tehran if they wanted any hope of relief from sanctions. And those demands included things like verifiable dismantlement of its nuclear weapons program and other WMD programs, uh, a change in its horrific behavior, uh, as you were talking about, horrific human rights abuses towards its own people, um, an end to the support for jihad terror organizations. We were talking about the proxies again, Hamas, Hezbollah, etc. Those are among the 12 demands that Secretary of State Mike Pompeo laid out over a year ago or about a year ago. So this is administration policy. Now, I expect they are not uh, broadcasting every single um, uh, you know, minutes of the meetings they hold about policy towards Iran and what they will say in public is the sanctions are designed to change the regime's behavior. I think they know perfectly well uh, what's in the Iranian constitution and that the behavior of this regime will not, cannot ever change because it's faithful to Islam. They are faithful to Islam. In addition to being corrupt up to their eyeballs, they're also faithful to Islam. And so the behavior will not change. Um, but I, I suspect that the thought is that as pressure unfortunately comes down harder and harder on the long-suffering um, Iranian people themselves, uh, that they will take matters into their own hands um, even more than they have done so far and really stand up to this regime and demand its replacement with something more representative of the people. And, of course, Ambassador Bolton, uh, National Security Advisor Bolton, um, has long, long uh, been associated 
with the, the largest, the best organized, uh, the most dedicated of all democratic Iranian opposition groups, and that is the Mujahideen Kalk and its umbrella political group, the National Council of Resistance of Iran. Naturally, he cannot uh, speak or, or deal with them directly as he did uh, in the private sphere while he is in the government. But um, that is the kind of organization, together with women's organizations, labor unions, students, that in my opinion, we ought to be supporting um, in their quest to, to be done with this regime, to, to replace this regime with something that they themselves freely and fairly elect um, in, in you know, free and fair elections, which has never happened since this regime ever took power, and not even before then, because the Shah's regime was hardly democratic either. No, it was not. But at this current time, I love the idea of all of the economic pressure on Iran causing the people to rise up and potentially causing the people to be the ones that overthrow rather than some. I don't think there's there's a lot of concern or I read concern about people saying, well, President Trump, he's not possibly considering a ground invasion. He's not going to go into Iran and take no. out the most. He's not talking about he's not trying to he's not trying to lead up to that. I think it's the people are arguing is that he's aggravating them uh, and leading up to that. And he makes President Trump has made some statements that I think people are interpreting to say that, but really just to have his pressure on Iran to keep that pressure on um, to ultimately inspire the people to rise up. I love that thought. And we do have some ways we can help the people without being militarily present, right? Exactly, exactly. And, and, and of course, this is what the people of Iran want for themselves. It's up to them to yeah. make the decision about the kind of government they choose, they want, and they, they install. That, that's for them to do. Um, yes, we need to help them, we need to support them uh, in whatever ways they want us to from, from the outside. Um, but when we hear the very strong statements coming out of this administration, the Trump administration, Secretary uh, Pompeo uh, or, or Security Advisor Bolton, um, what we're seeing um, is the response to what began as a very fragile, weakened, um, internally divided Iranian regimes lashing out under all this pressure. And what did they do? Well, they uh, attacked four, or their proxies did, attacked four oil tankers uh, near uh, the Strait of Hormuz that leads into the Persian Gulf. Two of them were Saudi, one flagged by Norway, one flagged by the UAE. Um, again, uh, uh, accused uh, proxies, probably the Houthis, flew uh, drones into the heart, the middle of the Arabian Peninsula and struck um, the Arabian, Saudi Arabian oil pipeline at two pumping stations. This is about a week ago, causing a lot of damage there. Uh, again, remember what I've said, that Iran tends to operate through proxies. So you, you've had those two kinds of attacks. You had uh, the regime itself, um, uh, putting generals up in front of uh, a wall map on Iranian TV. One General Amir Ali Hajizadeh appeared uh, something like a week or a bit more ago on Iranian TV with a great big wall map behind him showing all the United States bases and diplomatic facilities around the Middle East and talking about how they were not threats to the regime but targets. Uh -huh. And then intelligence was received, um, perhaps from the Israelis, perhaps confirmed by overhead satellite imagery. We're not completely sure, but 
that intelligence reported that the Iranians were placing Shahab-3 missiles onto small boats and launching them into the waters of the Persian Gulf in positions where they could be uh, seen as, as, as staging for an attack against Americans um, in the region, in particular yep. in Iraq. Yep. And then you had Secretary Pompeo uh, issuing the order that all non-essential personnel, American personnel, be withdrawn from Iraq. This is all in response to a blatant and demonstrable Iranian or Iranian-sponsored attacks and threats that we moved then, oh, I should say, and, and then that we also moved into the region additional military assets led by the USS, USS Abraham Lincoln uh, carrier group, yep. uh, an amphibious assault ship, Patriot, uh, Patriot missile battery, B-52s, other bombers, uh, and, and more assets. But that's all in response to the original attacks and threats coming out of the Iranian regime. Deterrence is very important here. If, if, if we wish to avoid all-out war, and the Iranians know that they can't stand up to the power of the, of the United States of America. Yeah. That's why they use proxies. But to avoid any mistakes or miscalculations, setting these red lines and making it very clear that the United States government will act uh, in a deterrent way and will respond overwhelmingly with force should the Iranians uh, continue attacks or even think to attack directly American forces uh, or personnel in the region. That's how you avoid war. That is not how you get into war. It's how you avoid war. Claire Lopez, I cannot tell you. I feel like I say this every time I talk with you. I, I want to take notes while you're talking. I so appreciate everything you've shared today, especially the beginning of your remarks where you're laying out what all of the conduct on behalf of the country of Iran prior to the time President Trump became president, including that the Iranian constitution is online in English and you can read for yourself, they are a country committed to Islamic Jihad. That is why they exist as a country and what their mission is. Because once you realize that, it puts everything else into context about how you deal with them, how strongly you have to fight against them when they seem to be trying to work toward nuclear weapons, how firmly you have to fight back and, and the strangulation of our, our efforts to strangle them economically through our sanctions are just, they, they are what you can do when your other choice, you know, anything short of military invasion, it's what you can do to send the message to them that you are not going to, to fulfill your mission, you are not going to be the uh, hegemonic power you have in mind being. So I, I love everything you laid out. Thank you so very much. I want to give you a chance to quickly tell our listeners about Center for Security Policy. I love going to your website. So you want to tell them about your website? Right. And thank you so much, Debbie. Um, yes, uh, we have two URLs you can try. One is shorter, securefreedom.org. Goes to the same place as the longer one, centerforsecuritypolicy.org. That is our website. There you may see um, our articles that we post. You may see uh, radio interviews by Frank on secure, uh, Frank Gaffney on Secure Freedom Radio. You may see our occasional papers, the books that we put out and publish in our monograph series, Jihad Reader Series, Civilization Jihad Reader Series, uh, and much other material that I am hopeful you will find um, interesting and uh, worthwhile to uh, have a look at. Claire Lopez, thank you so very much. It's great talking with you. Thank you, Debbie. 
Okay, folks, I have to tell you, the website she mentioned, I go there sometimes to look up one thing, thinking, well, I just want to find out what their position is on, and an hour later, I'm still on that website because they have so much information, and it's always laid out in a very simple, comprehensible way, and as you just heard from listening to Claire Lopez, a profound expert, national security expert, especially relating to Iran, to be able to understand the history of that country and the history of their Islamic ideology helps you, us all, understand how we end end up being in the position we're in today where we have to be standing up to them we have to be fighting we have to be uh, we have to be pushing back against a regime whose very constitution commits its country as the purpose for its existence to engage in Islamic Jihad, to spread Sharia by force, to end up with a caliphate in this world. That's what and who Iran is. And her reference to the people protesting, this act, and we've talked about before with her, but this began back, uh, certainly at least under President Obama's era, when the people were trying to say, we really, really don't want to have this regime. We, we want these mullahs out of here. We don't like the repression. Um, it, it is a country crying out to have its uh, is a repressive Islamic regime overthrown, and I love that we are that you we have that depth of understanding about who they are. So the actions that were taken recently by President Trump that are being criticized by the usual crowd of critics uh, can be put in the proper context. The idea of dealing with Iran as a threat that it is is the proper way to defend America and the world from their extremism. And that, my friends, was a great interview with Claire Lopez. Love talking with her. Last thing I want to talk about today is Islamization in America. And I want to tie back to two of the stories I, I started the show with and then a couple of things I was talking about with Claire Lopez. To start with, my incredibly wonderful producer, Matt, I sent you a picture online of this woman, and I forgot to show it before her, this Nazreen Sulada. This, this is the woman in Iran. This is the Iranian citizen lawyer who has been sentenced to 38 years in prison and 148 lashes. Yes, they still whip people in these barbaric countries. Doing that to her because she was advocating on behalf of women who do not wish to have to wear the hijab in public. That's, and so all the other charges, you know, insulting the, found, the you know, the, the Supreme Leader and uh, actions against the state security, they're mad because she's pointing out, actually, people don't like to live under Islamic suppression. That's what she's trying to say. We don't want to live under Sharia. We don't want to live under Islamic law. And as Claire Lopez pointed out, all of this mandate that women cover themselves, cover their heads, get punished, whipped, jailed for not dressing the way the mullahs tell them to dress, this is in the Quran. This is not just Iran is particularly crazy as a Muslim country, it is because it's in the Quran. And now I want to turn to two things happening in America today. We've talked about in the show many times this Islamization idea, this idea that Islam, just like the constitution of the country of Iran says, that those ideas in the Constitution of Iran that say it is the mission and purpose of Iran to engage in Islamic Jihad, to, to forcibly take over the world, to impose Sharia under a caliphate on everyone. This is not just Iran. This is Islam. What Iran is saying in its Constitution is Islam. It's not every Muslim. 
It is Islam. It is the core of what Islam is. It is in a conquest ideology intended to subdue all other religions, ideologies, and peoples. That's what Islam is. Sharia, the law of, of Islam, is not just an alternative set of laws like Christians have, you know, this you know, the Gospels and Jews and Christians have the Ten Commandments and the Muslims have Sharia. Sharia is a complete, all-encompassing force of law, set of laws, completely replacing all other law. It eliminates all other law from even existing. It demands that it is the only law that governs every single aspect of human experience. So now turning what's happening to America, two quick things I want to mention. One thing that is happening in here in the great state of Texas, the mayor in Austin, which is a liberal city, has a Democrat mayor, and most of the cities have Democrat mayors. The city in Austin hosted an iftar dinner, which is an Islamic holiday, a Muslim holiday, I-F-T-A-R, an iftar dinner on May 18th, and the mayor, Steve Adler, uh, hosted this dinner in in Austin, invited us as a speaker, Ilhan Omar, the Muslim Democrat representative in U.S. Congress from Minnesota. She's a Somalian. She is a she is profoundly anti-Semitic. She's pro-Palestinian. She hates Israel, and she hates many things, frankly, about America. So this goofball mayor in Austin hosts an event this uh and he's talking about he's calling it em gauge um and they had they sold tickets but the point is the group the event was sponsored presented by the terror group hamas that we were just talking to claire lopez about hamas is funding this this celebration this mayor of austin had Hamas doing business as one of their cover-up names, M-Gage, E-M, like the word N-Gage, only M-Gage, E-M-Gage. One of the partners with M-Gage being the Turkish Muslim Brotherhood, Turkish Muslim Brotherhood in the form of the Turkish Raindrop Foundation. So this mayor in Austin, because he is blithely hoping he's, he's virtue signaling political correctness and openness and diversity and inclusion and all these other meaningless words, is giving oxygen to the presence of the Muslim Brotherhood in America, giving oxygen to the presence of Hamas in America under the guise of a happy little event we're celebrating uh, the, the Iftar celebration, having Ilhan Omar speaking. Second example of Islamization. That is an example of Islamization, a clueless mayor inviting in people funded by Islamic terrorists and thinking he's somehow showing the world how open-minded he is, and he's sending a signal to Islam, to the, to the Muslim Brotherhood, to terrorists. We Americans are weak and stupid and can't see what you're doing to us, so we're going to host an event and invite you to sponsor it. You come in, and we're going to legitimize your presence in America. When Hamas is funding and sponsoring an event in America, we are watching Islamization. Second event, much shorter story, but in Minnesota, which has an overwhelmingly large population of Somali and Muslim refugees brought here under our refugee policies that were not well thought through, that end up bringing too many people to America who do not embrace the idea of America, 
Somalian refugees have overwhelmed certain neighborhoods and areas in Minnesota and a variety of problems I mentioned on the show before. In fact, I was going to say, one of our listeners sent me a long email saying, I live in Minnesota. I'm so happy you're finally sharing this and telling people about it. He was ex- explaining something that happened in his neighborhood. But I'm raising this story today. So in Minnesota, um, there was an attack um, at a bus station, at at a light rail train station at the University of Minnesota, um, a horrific attack by 10 youths against people standing there waiting for the train. These youths slinging, swinging hammers and pipes, you know, large, heavy pipes at people waiting at the train station. And so the, the reason I mentioned this as Islamization, these were Somalian Muslim refugees who did this. But the media, in, in their endless quest to pretend they can't see, they can't think, first reported this as youths, unknown youths, no obvious description of their appearance as being Somalian in nature. Um, the news outlets barely covered it. Locals were filming it who were there, you know, saying with their little phone things, putting them and saying, hey, this is a really bad thing. But you have Somalian gang, and I don't mean a gang in a formal sense of a gang, 10 or 12 Somalian youths randomly attacking people with hammers and heavy pipes at a bus station in the University of Min- near the University of Minnesota, and the media tried to tamp it down. The media barely reported it, only because people kept putting it up. First, some small local news outlet carried it, and finally, they had a, a, a news outlet put it out that was a more, the, uh, a more. In fact, it was a spirited discussion of the Second Precinct Minneapolis Crime Watch and Information, and Minneapolis Police Department Second District trying to talk about what happened. The point is, this is another. Another example of Islamization. What happens all over Europe, happens in the UK, is when there's violence engaged in by people who are, by Muslim refugees in those countries, in those areas, there has been pressure. Islamization is, part, this is an example of it, pressure on the media, pressure on police, pressure on public officials, elected officials, even when the crime is committed in the name of Islam. When the people, the the, uh, perpetrators are yelling Allahu Akbar, which is not yet reported and is not reported about this Minnesota thing, so we don't know if they were saying Allahu Akbar, but they were randomly attacking. These are Somalian Muslim refugees in Minnesota, randomly attacking a group of people hanging out at the train station, waiting to catch a train, and the media could barely bring themselves to honestly identify, even just to say Somali use. Forget about saying Islam. Even Somali use. You couldn't get them to say it, only because there was so much pressure from social media they finally think, okay, well, actually, it appears you were, these were Somalian youths. This, my friends, is an example of Islamization. It is the American media who is otherwise happy to report every sordid detail of every bad guy, every perpetrator, but we are careful and cautious. You don't want to really say that these are Somalian refugees who did this, which is a very minor point. Even if they, these young people who did this, and they did catch some or all of them, but even if they, these young people say, well, you know, we just did it because we were bored, it was Friday night, we had nothing else to do, you know, we, we got drunk or something. Even if they don't claim Islam as the motive, even if they don't say that, it's still two things. It is the Somalian refugees being given home and care and protection in America, being given a second home to escape Islamic violence in Somalia, 
not embracing our culture, not appreciating our culture, but instead engaging in violence toward American citizens. And second, again, it is a troublesome idea that the media reporting this go out of their way to try to avoid identifying the perpetrators once they think there might be a connection between Somali and Muslim refugees and the bad guys. They just can barely bring themselves to say it. It's a very dangerous thing to Americans to not have the media be honest enough and forthcoming enough to identify the perpetrators so we can better understand the problem. And now, my friends, turning to the part of the show I just love doing, the very end of the show, I want to talk about what all the stories we talked about today matter to you. First, we have an Iranian lawyer sentenced. Why it matters? The sentencing of this female Iranian lawyer, 38 years, 148 lashes. It's not an aberration in Iran. It's consistent with Islamic justice. It's in the Quran. This is what Islamic justice is. They are not ashamed, embarrassed, or anything else. They are saying, yeah, this is what we are, who we do, what we believe. Next point, the Iranian lawyer. Sharia supremacism. The idea of Sharia must be supreme. All the laws must go away in Iran is mandatory. America, we don't have to interfere with that. We, that. we are not going to do something militarily to interfere. But Sharia supremacism in America denies our Constitution. And this is why we can, in this Constitution being our supreme law of the land, this is why Sharia and Sharia supremacism must be prohibited in America. It's why we cannot let one kernel of Sharia enter America in any way. It must be fought, exposed at every turn. Next on Iran, the USA, why it matters to you, Iran is the front lines of the popularly denied conflict, which is the conflict between Islam and Western civilization. And, but yet, so this is what you're seeing in Iran and how they treat America, how they deal with America. There is this, this is a, I, I love that way we describe it there, the conflict between Islam and Western civilization. But really within Iran, this is a Persian country. Many people want to overthrow the mullahs. It's very hopeful that this Iranian mullocracy, probably not a word, um, uh, is really uh, there's a disconnect between the the repressive uh, Muslim leaders and the Iranian people. We gotta be supporting the Iranian people. Next thing, Islamization in Austin and Minneapolis. Islamization and cultural jihad. They are pu purposeful. They are planned. They're detrimental and even malevolent toward America as founded. These two incidents, and I could have given you dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens more, but these two incidents in Austin and Minneapolis are wake-up calls to America to recognize we are the recipient of Islamization efforts already. We have to be alert to it. Last point, why it matters. The mainstream media, big tech, social media, and leftists will muffle and deny the wake-up calls and shout down the voices of warning. But... The threat of Sharia supremacism in America isn't going away, and we who love America must expose it, face it, and denounce it, and rid ourselves of it. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. I look forward to talking to you every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. Talk to you tomorrow. Can we talk truth about America? Can you